Welcome to a new episode of the India Independent Films Podcast. We are a full house again after a long time. This is Rahul Desai, a film critic for Film Companion. We have Ishita Sengupta after a while, um, film critic for OTT Play. And we have, as usual, Oday Bata, film critic for Mint. Uh, three of us are back, as promised. Um, as I said, we're going to be discussing the talk of the town. It's the Diwali release, uh, Salman Khan, Tiger 3. And we are also going to be discussing David Fincher's new film. I never thought I'd be talking about Salman and David Fincher in the same podcast, but here we are. Uh, we are going to be starting, of course, with Tiger 3. I think uh, all three of us, because it's a Yashrad release, I think we watched it. A very weird, first time in my career, I've had a Sunday release, first of all. It's either Wednesday or Friday. It's mostly Friday, but you know, on the odd occasion, on holidays like or festivals, it's sometimes Wednesday to have a longer weekend. But this is... A Sunday release. So um, I've been a bit disoriented. We we went early morning, I think, in our respective cities. Ishita is in Calcutta right now. And I think we watched the film early morning and we had to review it um, that day. Um, we, um, a few lines about your, your favorite superstar and his latest uh, film before we start discussing uh, I think uh, listeners who haven't heard our Salman pod can uh, can refer to that where we've talked about um, uh, the previous Tiger films in fairly complimentary terms. Uh, this one I don't think has uh, impressed any of us uh, at all closely to the first two films. Um, it is part of the YRF spy universe. Um, uh, we've had already Pathan uh, this year, uh, which was an entry in that. And um, just a reminder that this will be a spoilery podcast very soon. We are going to give away like plot lines and cameo appearances and things. So just um, watch the film before, or if you don't care, then you know just uh, be warned. Um, few lines i guess um uh we start off with the uh, tiger and zoya played by salman khan and katrina kaif in uh, in sort of domestic bliss which is shattered a bit by um by a dying ranveer shore who is saved uh, but not exactly saved by salman khan uh, at the start of the film uh, revealing that Zoya is uh, not only not retired, but uh, working against uh, Indian interests. Uh, and um, then there's there's a, a, a whole sequence where uh, Salman Khan uh, needs to try and figure out whether Katrina Kaif is actually spying or whether she's just buying a telescope for their son, which was <laughs> kind of funny. And uh, yeah, so it kind of goes from there and uh, it turns out she is uh, actually uh, back in the game, as it were. Uh, and and this is, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go off plot for a second out here because it just, it's so weird to me that the Indian authorities like, you know, Raw, which uh, Tiger is still an active part of, He's like, yeah, you're married to like an ex-ISI person, but she says she's retired and you really love her. So you know, I'm sure it's going to be fine. It'll be fine. These things work out uh, all the time. And they're just like, you know, we're not really concerned. And, and they, they're like, you know, Zoya Bhabi kaisi hai. And it's, it's just hilarious to me that they don't think that there's going to be a problem. Obviously, there's going to be a problem. This is it's just amazing that it took so long. Uh, for uh, something like this to happen. 
Um, I like I like how specific your uh, your little uh, quibble there was. Uh, Ishita, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you to not only continue a bit of the premise and then just tell us your sort of feelings about it because you're the only one amongst three of us who did the homework of watching both the Tiger films previous to this in the week uh, as as you know as your research and then you watch this film. So how was that watching three sort of Tiger films in a week and so much of Salman in your face? Uh, so I don't mind the Tiger franchise actually. Mm. I uh, the first one I really like because I feel like Kabir Khan is also one of the few filmmakers who can make Salman act. <clears throat> Sorry, and I feel like that was also like um, the first Tiger is also I think one of the few instances where Salman was trying, was really trying, and by the second you realize like it's a good. Uh, like a parameter to check uh, Salman's stardom also. I feel, I think the first one, I'll just, I think the first one came at, at a time when he was probably not as big as he was. And the, uh, the, the uh, when the second one came, he was a, probably a bigger star and he was absolutely like sleepwalking through the mm, film. Yeah. But it still worked for me in some capacity. I think it also worked for me now because I had forgotten most of it. So when I was re-watching it now, I feel the simplistic politics of it at mm. this moment, when you watch it right now, it looks a little bit, uh, you know, like uh, brave, mm. which I I'm sure it was not when it was when it released. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the Tiger franchise works because as Uday said, that Zoya Bhabi thing, you know, I feel like it's so sim simple, it's fun. Like, yeah. also, I feel like uh, the idea of Salman uh, as an actor who really doesn't do anything. Like, if you, <clears throat> his, his whole um, acting um, spectrum is uh, just moves in extremes, you know. Like, he's either, like, crying, he's never, like, or he's just laughing like a child. Like, I just don't get it. Like, it's very simple. And I feel that also adds to the, the Tiger franchise that it's so simple. Yeah. The, uh, so, so the first two worked for me to put it simply this the third just like it was not um, like the thing is that you know going into the film i knew that obviously because the the spy universe of uh, yashraj if there's one thing they do right is the politics so i obviously knew that you know the politics would be correct or would be like you know like secular or whatever but uh, the, the one thing which was uh, which uh, I wanted to see is how they go about it, and uh, that completely didn't work for me. Uh, like we'll obviously talk about it in detail. Uh, so yeah, and I think the third film also is just not fun at all. Like there is just no fun except uh, the Shahrukh cameo. I think everyone knows by now. And even in that five minutes, Shahrukh was trying harder than Salman in, in the whole film. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. And I, but I, Rahul, I want to ask you because I remember, I think you liked it a little more than both of us. I mean, uh, like, yeah, Rahul also just tell us what happens in St. Yeah. Petersburg yeah. and uh, what uh, Salman Khan finds out. And like, like, liking it is a bit of a strong term. Uh, I, I'd say I didn't uh, hate it. Um, because the second one, I remember I was absolutely out of it. And you're right about the fact that, you know, back then it wasn't brave as such. It was just taken for, it was a very different country, def very different Bollywood watching culture also back then, uh, 2017, I think. So it, it didn't feel brave back then. So you could judge a film for, um, on the more fundamental levels of craft of Salman sleepwalking through it and how, how he's just stopped giving a shit. 
when he's on screen. So that that's why I guess that one didn't really, and I don't remember much of the second one. I do remember the first one very well. But yeah, this one, I I had a feeling like at least for you know for the first hour, I was like, okay, it is interesting where it's heading. Uh, and as you said, Ishita, you know, I was like, yeah, the politics has to be right or like at least a little more sensible because we just had Patan because uh, you know obviously the cameo is going to happen. So YRF tends to be a little old school about that, simplistic about that, but they have the right ideas most of the time. So just taking the plot a little forward from where Uday left off also is, of course, um, Tiger finds out that Zoya is actually working um, for a different outfit, almost sort of a militant outfit led by this ex-ISI agent, Imran Hashmi plays Atish Rehman. And uh, like most ex-agents, he's disgruntled, he's, he's absolutely decisive illusion with the with the system with both the countries he wants chaos it's a bit like john abraham's character yeah, in, yeah. in Pakistan. Yeah. not very different it's just the pakistan he's a ex is agent i think john abraham was an ex raw agent yeah. so more or less the same like they almost imitate that formula in that sense and it's effective because i like imran ashmi the way he plays these characters i thought he was the most striking part apart from katrina kaif in terms of like watchable performances on screen and uh, so so tiger realizes that she's working for him and there's there's an entire sort of um, sequence where i think there's a, a long action sequence is it in saint petersburg or is yeah it, yeah it's, so. yeah it's in basically it's in russia but yeah, yeah saint petersburg and uh, that's where he comes face to face with zoya tiger and zoya and uh, that's where you know that 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 stone face of his where I found that montage very funny where he's just looking at her and trying to figure out if she's actually lying to him or not, like as a mother, as a wife. And, you know, he's looking at her, you don't know whether he's sad, whether he's heartbroken, whether he is angry. And uh, and eventually he finds out that, uh, uh, you know, she's betraying him in a way. And then um, after that, they get captured and he finds out that she's actually being blackmailed by Atish Rehman uh, into um, stealing... Uh, PAL codes from the Chinese will not get into the technicalities, but into doing something really sinister for him uh, uh, because they, he's taken their son hostage. And that I mean, it's so vague, right? Like, you know, yes. nuclear codes and briefcase and stuff. It's like, it's it's it's, it's almost like, you know, they're, they were on autopilot after uh, mm-hmm. writing Pathan and trying to come up with interesting stuff. And they're just like, ah, it's Tiger, you know, we'll just like put a vague yeah, yeah. briefcase, nuclear codes, ex-ISI guy, military, and just like, uh, just throw in like the most obvious stuff and keep going with it because half of it is you know just pathan regurgitated stuff right like even That's in that exactly uh, same thing right they also yeah. go to russia or some place there and like uh, like the dipika and charu characters also steal something do a heist thing yeah. Uh, in between and that's when he realized the briefcase like, yeah it oh. was more or less some codes and you have to break into yeah. some tower it's the same thing here it's the exact yeah. same thing here they have to go to istanbul and do shit like that and the sad part is I recognize that the tower they were actually trying to break into was actually a tourist tower. It has nothing like that inside. I've been on top of that tower and I was like, that's not even good uh, production design in a sense if you're going to pass that off as something really secret. But uh, but yeah, they do the same thing as those because at the interval point there, that's when Shah Rukh realized that she's sort of a double agent. Here it's almost the opposite. They're, they're teaming up back together to to save their son. They go on this mission for Atish Rehman and steal these pal codes from the China, 
from the Chinese, which is just more or less an excuse to have that hammam scene in this uh, in in this entire sort of uh, high sequence uh, yeah. with with Katrina Kaif and uh, the character. So so yeah, they they steal the pal codes and uh, that's it. They give it to and they become like uh, they become traitors for their respective countries. Uh, Atish Aman frames both of them, uh, you know, one for India, one for Pakistan. And um, the second half is basically them just trying to uh, sort of, first of all, clear their name. There's a bunch of flashbacks to tell us why Atish Rahman is the way he is. And uh, and there's a lot of lecturing going on. In the second half, it's basically Tiger sort of going to Pakistan to save them, to save the country from itself because it's a Sasural, because it's Zoya's country. And it involves the prime minister. It involves like, uh, the, you know, their palace there. And it involves a bunch of uh, things that uh, that come across as very patronizing but we'll get into that soon um let's talk about that second half and the the decisions they take creatively there because we know i mean in a in a other spy in another spy universe it might just have been that atish Rahman wants to attack india you know uh, by stealing those pile codes and he's like this 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 sort of deflector uh, ex agent who wants to attack India, and that is why Tiger and Zoya sort of team up to stop. Here it is about you know saving Pakistan itself, which on paper is nice. We are trying to save our neighbor because you know they are peaceful people. The prime minister is nice; she wants democracy. But uh, but something goes wrong here. Uh, Ishita, do you want to start with that? Yeah. Hi. Sorry. Um, yeah, so as you said, like uh, in any other film, it would have been uh, India in the spotlight. But I think uh, Aditya Chopra has written the, the script and I think he was probably just trying to show the magnanimity of mm. uh, the country and, and also tie it up with uh, secularism. So obviously, uh, Salman goes to Pakistan to save Pakistan because they are clearly incapable of doing it themselves. And, uh, you know, so I, I'll tell you what, at some, uh, till a certain point I feel it worked for me like as I said I, I, I buy into the simplistic nature of the Tiger franchise so uh, when he says that Sasural ko bachane jaro and all that I you know it for me it worked more than what it did at Gadar which was almost similar because he keeps saying that uh, you know this is a Sasural like Sunny Deo's character says it uh, but I feel like it just it quickly goes very very condescending uh, and patronizing the way they go about it uh, for one um, on a very fundamental level, I feel Katrina Kaif is a much better action star than Salman Khan. Yeah. And the film opens with her backpack story, which made me very hopeful. So I would have really liked uh, her to take the center stage and, uh, you know, be the one doing it, which would have made perfect sense because it's her country. And she is an ex-ISI agent. Mm. But uh, obviously, because it's a Salman Khan film, and I think you, uh, like Rahul in his uh, review, has written a, like a great paragraph on how uh, Salman, uh, as an actor, which also leads to his portrayals, completely refuses to take help. So, mm. so obviously, he is the one who is always calling the shots. And, uh, and so, you know, it just comes across as very... It's a very savior complex uh, at the end of the day, which for me uh, threatened. I mean, it can kind of undid the 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 correct politics of the film. But like, uh, did the second half work for you at all? Because I feel it was a little gutsy for them to just uh, uh, like 
obviously they did not shoot it in pakistan but the fact that the narrative unfolded mostly in pakistan where he's uh, salman's character is idling in jail i thought it was like uh, little gutsy like they went all out that way but uh, did uh, did it work for you at all rahul uh, i can other uh, you can start with it first so yeah, i i remain very fascinated by the uh, yrf's um, idea mm-hmm. of pakistan in its films uh, especially yeah. the spy verse because See if you're making an Indian war film, Indian spy film, chances of Pakistan coming up are very, very high. Um, you will barely get any spy film made in India that doesn't involve Pakistan in some shape or the other. And uh, a good many of the uh, spy verse films, the YRF spy verse films, do involve Pakistan. and mostly as an antagonist in pathan also um uh, J- pakistani general was the second villain even though john abraham was like the yeah. the top villain and uh, out here also you have atish rehman but uh, it's also interesting how much space they make for a just like properly fleshed out pakistani characters like mm. not not cartoon villains but actually like you know giving them a back story and giving them like some uh, some agency and some thought and some reason for what they're doing beyond like oh you know i'm just part of this nation and therefore i will act this way because this is an indian film doesn't work that way and uh, also uh, frankly to make two of its like big protagonist like to lead people who you know possibly might have their own film one day uh, pakistani uh, and proud pakistanis like patriotic pakistanis in zoya and uh, deepika's uh, yeah. uh, in pathan uh, that's uh, that's unprecedented i don't think there's any other part of hindi cinema like a franchise or otherwise like any corner of hindi cinema that has done something like that So it's a weird kind of like one step forward one step backward like a strange dance that YRF and the Spyverse does with Pakistan and I think you can see that out here also in Tiger 3 where they make Pakistan play like a whole bunch of roles like uh, it's at one part you know it's like this thing where the military and the ISI just like can run over everything at a moment's notice but it's also like you know as as you pointed out rahul it's his sasural and he's very fond of it and um, you know it's but it's also a nuclear threat but it's also concerned about india and uh, like the national anthem gets played by pakistani indian national anthem gets played by pakistani kids at the end which i thought oh, was yeah. uh, hilarious um kind of i don't know if it was i think it was meant to be moving i thought it was just a little i mean it's so blatant that it kind of did not work but at the same time i'm i'm quite impressed that they even tried something like that uh, i don't think uh, i don't think most of the audiences in india like the gather to watching people would know what to do with that scene <laughs> like they just <laughs> even in our uh, when i was watching it in the hall like uh, like nobody stood up at the start and then they were like oh shit we've been programmed to stand up when as a national anthem plays so like half of them stood up and then by the end like 90 90% was standing up but it was all in degrees <laughs> it was very funny scene i thought 
but uh, yeah so i i mean i wouldn't say the second half really worked for me but uh, i i think just like in a more theoretical sense i thought it was quite fascinating that like a film that goes and plonks itself in pakistan and remember this is what gadar 2 did also but it's hmm. the tonality is so different out here uh, which i thought was quite interesting yeah i just want to uh, just to reiterate what udai said i feel like this is this is the only thing which worked for me in the film is that they made uh, people out of uh, of caricatures you know like uh, not only is the second does the second half unfold almost entirely in pakistan but as you rightly pointed out that the characters are also like fully fleshed out people and i think yrf tends to do that it's a little more here because uh, Uh, it's it's uh, i think the tiger franchise is a little more established than the other two ones it already has the third film mm-hmm. so uh, the i mean the fact that uh, katrina kaif's character is pakistani pakistani and she is one of the uh, you know the leading ones in the in the franchise kind of lends uh, the country the importance and i liked that you know there was this uh, uh, like because i feel that if you just consider the recent films uh, we have watched like you know if you take pippa or if you take tejas or even if you take mojib actually they do not differentiate between uh, uh, the country and uh, uh, like religious extremism mm. you know for them they, they they use the terminology that they use is that pakistan is the problem and i feel like yashraj especially tiger franchise they may, they do a good job in differentiating uh, both and mm. if there's something which worked for me in the film was this that uh, you know it and i think it probably has to do with the fact that you know uh, like yash chopra was you know like a he, he witness partition or whatever it is but i feel that that they, that there is a lot of um, thought that uh, yr uh, gives into the way they depict pakistan yeah so i'm done yeah rahul um no the i mean these are great points also and it's true because you know weirdly enough in yr films or at least these films um or even that wiki kaushal film recently great indian family um, mm. the thing is the broad strokes are correct right like mm. the raja idea is right like it's a very old school yash chopra way romantic way of looking at india and pakistan as two parts of the same country and not really discriminating between the people so much as the establishments um and and i guess that i've always liked and it was really pronounced with the film like pathan uh because of course shahrukh khan was playing it and after seeing a spy like uh, pathan where you know he's vulnerable he's more than happy to have the the woman have the um, you know take the limelight uh, he is not out to save the world on his own he needs a lot of help it's a bit difficult to go back to tiger in in yeah. terms of not just patriotism or the way it is depicted but also in terms of like the way salman khan forces the film to become like him you know and uh, and because of that i feel like even though the broad strokes are right i i really like the fact that you know the pakistani prime minister here was given a definite voice she wanted peace she was the one taking the initiative she uh, spoke to india she's always wanted a democracy uh, so in that sense it reminded me of razi almost you know humanizing mm. the pakistani mm. but but then because i blame this on salman khan his his state his stature his character the way he acts that this he almost sort of forces the film and pushes it into a certain box saying okay we've gone far enough now we need to uh now i need to do my saving and when he does a saving by extension i think india is doing its saving which comes across as very condescending in this film 
even though the idea was right because i think like if zoya had gotten a little more sort of agency because as you pointed out she the film started with her so i had great hopes after that first scene because i thought it's going to be about her and i expected a mm. rebecca cameo at some point but of course yeah. the men took over uh, in the end as did india uh <laughs> but yeah i think that entire sort of um that lack of vulnerability of his or, or in general the whole, entire aura around salman khan does not allow the film to realize its um it's very secular sort of vision and this film does have that vision also they went woefully wrong with that national anthem sequence also i'd say uh, it's interesting because the exact same thing happened in my theater also i think people were looking at others before standing up first of all there were no words to the anthem it was instrumental so they didn't know what the what the memo was here and uh, i don't think a lot of the audiences across india would know what to do because i don't know if they they know that the joke might just be on them if they stood up for the anthem because it's it's a bunch of also like they they aren't programmed to acknowledge a bunch of pakistani uh, girls sort of playing that anthem as a gift as a thank you gift to you know this super spy so so it was very interesting the dynamics i can see how it might have looked on paper but uh, but yeah it's just it's hard to look past the treatment in that second half you know it's hard to look past the fact that salman is doing everything on his own and india is getting all the credit and they are just helping pakistan clean up their own mess and saying that you know this is how you do things and um, and that tenth, and the execution has always been a problem with vrf films whether they, the idea whether the idea is secular enough or right enough or like it's brave enough it's always been an execution problem and i think it's most visible in the tiger franchise and they've like pathan they've really gone for wall to wall action out here like they're i mean just in terms of quantity uh, it's uh, i mean there are i think few hindi films that have like this much action from start to end like but it's just it's so unmemorable because salman mm. khan is is just such a boring action star now uh, he 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 can't or won't make the effort and uh, it's 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 just it's painful to see him in some of those scenes like the one that was there in in istanbul where he's going into this weird clock tower like thing like like ethan hunt um, like suspended from a wire and he's mm-hmm. going down and it's just it looks so fake and it looks so <laughs> stupid and in some of the scenes he does like these you know the superhero landing like where you like yeah, yeah. land on one f- knee and like the rest the, yeah, and sort of keep going from there and he, it's it's just it's so it's so fake and uh, it's kind of the problem i guess also is that you know tiger was already established as a franchise before the spy verse was even created and uh, you can't do much really you just have to kind of say bye to it at some point i don't think like you can make the action in in these films mm-hmm. um work uh, you know the way it did because you can even see the progression in the three tiger films right in the first one salman is actually he's made to run he he has to <laughs> run mm-hmm. uh, it's it's insane uh, now you know he uh, there's no chance and in the second katrina kaif was clearly a better action star and that was a surprise because you know no one really expected that coming in and and in the third she is so so much better than him she's not even like a really convincing fighter to me on screen but she just moves so well she has like such great agility 
that is fantastic she sells that hamam scene i thought uh, very well and uh, the later thing where she sort of pirouetting with this gun and stuff like i'm just i was just imagining like if uh, deepika and her were in that scene together it mm. would have been so good because both of them move so well they are just such agile actors that uh, it would be fantastic to see the two of them do like a proper action scene together Yeah, so I um, I feel like you know what you were saying about uh, Salman um, like being different from Pathan, which uh, and that it's a little jarring to watch Tiger after Pathan. I feel like you know uh, at some on a very textbook level, I think it worked for me because I like that the the writers or the creators they have very three different vision for uh, the three different spies that they have, like uh, Kabir, uh, you know, and and Pathan and Tiger, and. you know the fact that he is not as vulnerable as as the rest i feel at some level would have worked if salman had tried you know at uh, like i i, I would have uh, like i would have bought into it if salman uh, had made an inch of effort and you know the, like the fact that he obviously doesn't do any action uh, is very evident like i feel he single handedly just gives away the vfx of the moment because he refuses to even move like he just refuses to even care and i don't i don't know why yashraj is spending so much money on the vfx anyway and then there is a lip there's a song where salman is literally refusing to lip sync i was i was shocked he is his mouth is just moving in very different ways which is not even the song and th- what level of laziness has he reached like Set, that was that was the moment i'm like okay i've checked out ah uh, yeah i remember, I remember. Uh, Ishita calling in shock after the film scene. You know he didn't lip sync. He stopped lip syncing, and I was like, I get it. <laughs> who who wants to take on the the Sharo cameo? Um, yeah, yeah. I yeah. would like to start about. That. Um, <laughs> yes. So you know, uh, it wasn't as fun as uh, as Patan. Obviously, um, I didn't like it as much as Patan. I'd say because obviously in Patan it was. that is when you realize that's the moment you realize this is the origin story of the spy verse right like we didn't yeah. know before that it's going mm-hmm. to be the fire yeah. is going to treat the spy universe like an accidental pregnancy right like it just it, it happened and in that moment you realize that it exists and it can happen and you know the possibilities are running through your head and you're like of course it should you know it's salman and sharukh and that metaness of the moment really worked wonders in patan of course it was a very good action sequence also which yeah. but yeah. at uh, least until salman turns up you know and, yeah, yeah at least till salman turns up and they have to start running on the train and all you know you, you can almost see like it's virat kohli and rohit sharma running between the wickets <laughs> virat is really forced <laughs> and it's just not happening <laughs> but, but uh, great but, great uh, analogy Yeah, but that's how eventually Salman moved in that scene, and that that banter felt very like you know like that ended his review. It felt really nice and nostalgic, and it felt like two old sort of superstars uh, mm-hmm. having a bit of a chat. But uh, here, the problem, many problems here, because first of all, you're expecting it right from big before the interval, like you're expecting it for a good half an hour before it comes. So that anticipation is basically leading up to only one thing. uh it's not a surprise it's not going to you know it's coming a lot of the audiences are in fact mm. can only waiting for that mm. and when it finally does come first of all the sequence goes on for a long time it's it's surprisingly yeah. long around 20 minutes 15 to 20 minutes almost like you know 
the makers might have just sos sharuk saying you know sarman is bit hung over for the next uh, one month can you do something mm-hmm. but uh, but it just it plays out like very it's almost like now they're doing an obligation to the franchise and um, even though sharuk is fun to watch the, even the one liners between them is now so obvious that we had a bit of that already i would have actually like to see rithik come in between somewhere you know like i was sort of i was kind of expecting that i thought sharuk yeah. would be like a small appearance somewhere i thought rithik would do a like a biggish mm. thing yeah because can you imagine rithik and salman we first of all i can't imagine both of them in the same frame Uh, they have nothing in common and uh, secondly uh, like how would they talk like i i am and just fascinated to see something like that you can't just keep uh, keep using the same thing again and again like for the next few tiger films i can't see sharuk pathan coming or pathan tiger there has to be some kabir somewhere there has to be some dipika somewhere because i expected dipika to turn up with katrina kaif at some point towards the end because yeah. Deepika's uh, character is very much like Katrina's character in Pathan. So um, it just this sequence just didn't quite hit as much as it should have the Sharuk Sarman thing. I, I mean, yeah, the Shole tribute, yeah, it's very cutesy and all, but as of now, it just feels like a crutch. I just want to say that obviously it didn't land, but the but the Pathan's theme music is still banging. Yeah, that's true. It's just great. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Manish Sharma directing this? And I mean, it's. Uh, I think we are all fans of fan to some extent or the other, and um, that's. It's his first film since then, which itself is surprising because fan was 2016. I think this is too long a wait for a good director to, uh, to just uh, you know be uh, working on. something and then that something turns out to be tiger 3 uh, and uh, i i don't know i didn't see any of that manish sharma edge and wit in this at all and also he the action isn't bad and with salman you know you have to give a lot of um, you know it's just tough for any director it's just, and uh, but even then i don't think he is a particularly striking action director from the evidence of this maybe if he had another star it would be different but uh, i think there's just a lot of action but very little of it was partic- you know memorable to me in this and as for the rest i, I like it's it's just a waste of manish sharma i think his his talent and uh, yeah i mean look at fan look at this i mean it's a huge huge fall yeah <clears throat> yeah i agree i mean i was very excited to uh, at the prospect of manish sharma being uh, directing uh, tiger 3 because i thought he would probably add something to it but it's it, it could like the film uh, the director could have been anyone and it wouldn't have made a difference i feel and uh, like I feel like Manish Sharma doing a a spy film with Sharuk in it would have yielded better results because I think Sharuk is still more amenable to direction and Salman is not because most of his films look like they have been directed by his ego so it doesn't matter who is the director because ultimately it's his film so yeah I think it was just a waste of Manish Sharma because it could have been just simply anyone at least in the first film you could understand it's a Kabir Khan film by the yeah. second obviously there was a little bit of a dip but this one it just it it just felt like there was no one 
doing it. Even fan had better action sequences. Yeah, than, yeah, yeah. yeah. for sure. And the chase scene. Like, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. uh but that's a good time for me to plug a piece that has just dropped i've written 1500 words on money shameful yeah, uh, shameful uh, <laughs> you've crossed all lines ranking as ranking is well but of course i used it as an excuse to talk about exactly this how how is how is totally invisible from this particular film tiger 3 and my theory is that you know of course he's going the aditya chopra way in terms of becoming a producer more than a director that's why this is his first film in 7 years uh, which is a crime in itself but uh, you could see it in fan because that first film was a director's first half was a director's film the second half was a producer's film uh, and th- this is entirely a producer's film that's why we don't see a director so the graph that he's moving in is very much like you know his mentor and he and it's no coincidence that he's one of the only independent producers in yrf right now apart from aditya chopra nobody else's name comes to a film uh you know like directly attached to it the way his name has been in the last couple of years uh so so i guess we see a lot of the, and it's disappointing because i expected him to do bit of a kabir khan or bit of an ali abbas zafar uh, say in terms of Sul- what he did in sultan with salman i thought manish sharma would have that force here but uh, but yeah as you said it could have been directed by anyone and i'd be none the wiser and uh, it, it's an absolute waste because i feel that you know manish sharma obviously wants a blockbuster or wants a hit for a change because fan was not that film and none of his films have really set the box office on fire except maybe the first one to an extent but uh, but we do know he's a good filmmaker it just feels like he's moving more towards the direction of wanting to be a commercially viable filmmaker because he's been a producer for so long and it it reminds me a bit of how ranbir kapoor is going in his direction in in uh, in his own acting career you know he's just sort of quit the experiments and just going shamelessly in search of like box office glory so i i think manish sharma might be heading in that direction depends on how much he's going to direct in this franchise or if any other yrf uh, spy universe film but uh, i really hope we see more i don't think we will but i i really hope we see more of his first 3 or 4 years like when he did those um, when he did the band baja barat and even mm-hmm. lady versus ricky bell even um, even the uh, even the pariniti and uh, the the love triangle i forgot the name should they see romance mm-hmm. and and fan the first half one of the better first halves in hindi cinema in the last 10 years but uh, but yeah manish sharma is, is a disappointment in terms of uh, tiger 3 i'll just uh, i just also want to quickly point out that abbas tirewala on dialogue is oh, yeah. something that's really missed and you can kind of yeah. see that shridhar raghavan who's done the screenplay here he needs that little bit of spice with abbas tirewala it's not enough to mm-hmm. have uh, just him uh, with the screenplay um uh, it's it it makes a little difference in out here i mean i i think it's really sorely missing let's uh, let's ask the <laughs> the big question out here that uh, do you see a, a future for tiger in the spiverse um and um, if uh, if not like what is the honorable way to get rid of uh, the <laughs> character because 
let's not uh, forget this is a this could be a huge hit and then they will never get rid of him we will just be doing the same podcast over and over uh, every three years but also uh, it's um, he he kind of built this thing he didn't know he was building this but he he did uh, salman with with the first two films which were humongous hits uh and uh, it's it wouldn't the spyverse wouldn't have existed had those two films not been there so it's not like you know they can say okay get lost i mean it's it's he's sort of it's there it's his house in a way so where where do you think it can go ashita i mean i would really like salman to see just in cameos actually like i wouldn't want another tiger film i would because i feel he's built as this uh, as this at some point i think even sharuk's character says that you know i use brain and you use your body and i think that is the crux of tiger's character that he might not be the brightest bulb in the room but he is like a lot of physical strength which i feel kind of balances the other two spies like uh, you know kabir and pathan in in a way but the fact that salman is literally single handedly pulling it down i would just want him to come in these pivotal moments and save them and then vanish mm. i think that would be well from the looks of the box office collections it feels like tiger is not going anywhere for a long time and uh, it's it's a bit like of course yeah, ideally i would like him go the iron man way because even robert downey junior built the mcu without really knowing it and then got killed off later but the difference was he was a good actor and uh, salman is uh, he is going to carry on i think patan versus uh, tiger is not very not a rumor so much it might just happen and it 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 probably break every record that ever exists because it's just sharuk versus salman and i can see that happening uh, i don't know when it's going to happen but wherever 2 3 years down the line but uh, that is what they are building up to they don't give a shit about what comes before or after that that is the that is the clash they want and it, it it's it's something that's been 30 years in the making since karan arjun so uh, there's no doubt that they're going to never get rid of salman till that particular film happens till that crossover happens i just don't see where rithik's going to fit in here i think he should just be sober and continue doing war films war 2 war 3 war 4 because i would love to keep seeing him go because for me he's the best spy amongst the three and uh, and i think um, i i think he doesn't need the khans to you know prop him prop him up here he has his own identity i just hope he doesn't do cameos in the other films and you know does it because yrf has a contract with him or whatever it is but uh, b- because uh, yeah i don't see very fits in in salman's universe maybe with sharuk i can see a bit of banter happening because they did k3g long back but uh, how much can you capitalize on things like that uh, so yeah they, i mean it's going to keep happening so the, the salman whether we like it or not tiger has a future and um, as long as salman's alive that's going to keep happening the i don't i know that tiger versus pathan is something that has been kind of vaguely uh, floated by uh, you know like sort of semi officially floated i think but um, i i i'll i take some heart by the by the rithik sort of uh, post credit thing at the end where he's sort of moving towards uh, like a uh a very darkish uh, interpretation of his character and uh, i'm i'm hoping that because they are sort of suggesting that he's going to cross over into some kind of very gray area 
that puts him then in opposition with um, with Pathan mm-hmm. and uh, Tiger is just sort of I don't know uh, chilling with Zoya somewhere and, and uh, not not really involved. But uh, yeah, I know they I I think they'll really want that. If for nothing else, they'll just want it for that title, Tiger versus Pathan, and you know, then after that, we can kind of hopefully bid goodbye to Tiger because I don't know, Salman is just a dead weight on anything that he is in now. It's just there is no good use for him, and uh, he's the laziest star in in Hindi cinema by far. In the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I think contrary to Tiger, I think the Zoya's character has a lot of potential, and I would really like to see, yeah, like the Yashraj banner propping her up and doing something about it because Katrina has really come like miles in being such a watchable action actor, mm. uh, star. I should not say actor, but uh, and it's like it it really works. Like she really sells it. So yeah. I, I I really hope that they do something with her. You know, it's fascinating. She has like her child is almost like I don't know. Like mm. a partition child, almost like you know, half India, half Pakistan, or whatever. And then she, she, you know, she is very patriotic, and you know, she's in love with an Indian man. So there's a lot of possibility, and I really hope that they do something about it. Mm. So that's a that's a good thought to end it on. Deepika and Katrina in a film. I, I mean, that would by hands down be probably be the best film of the franchise. So uh, uh, hoping for that, but I, I'm not very optimistic. Um, yeah, I guess uh, that's it for Tiger Three. Uh, unless any of you have anything else to talk about, uh, Ishita, we can let you go because I know you have a very busy life, and we will continue droning <laughs> about uh, about another film. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Bye, bye. Rahul, do you want to segue very smoothly into uh, Fincher <laughs> and the Killer, which is. <laughs> Yeah, probably impossible uh, from Salman. Let's just let's just pretend that the film is about a killer and about violence. So that's our segue. But uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, so as we, you know, as we said, we are going to quickly talk about David Fincher's new film, uh, and it is called The Killer. It's it's streaming on Netflix right now. Uh, it stars um, it stars Michael Fassbender as an unnamed assassin, and. Um, It, you know, I'm going. I can a uh, few lines about the plot. I will just give you, and we will get into the film. Uh, it, it's basically about an unnamed assassin. He's he's doing a job at the beginning of the film. There's a voiceover. He thinks a lot. He waits a lot. So he basically tells us about this assassin life and how it's not all action. It's a lot of patience also. Uh, and he has this very philosophical tone about his voice also. So you can tell that he's been doing it for a while and he's very good at his job. But this job he does in Paris goes wrong, and uh, it basically it act it it goes against everything he believes in about himself. And after that, he goes on the run, as most self-respecting assassins do. Once a job goes wrong, and uh, he he finds out that his girlfriend has been attacked and almost killed in his hideout uh, in another country. And once he finds that out, he goes on a spree of revenge, tries to hunt down his employers as well as the client. Uh, and uh, yeah bit by bit he tracks all of them down so it sounds very familiar i'm sure at least 10 titles came into your mind about assassins in this particular while i was uh, talking about this particular premise so would i hand it to you there because it is obviously more than that 
yeah it's um it's an absolutely fascinating film and yeah. it's not what you would think uh going in though with fincher anyways it's you know it's it's a it's risky to assume that you know where things might lead but this is a very uh this very strange kind of uh, exercise uh, both of us have uh, i think mentioned how a lot of it seems to be him talking to himself because it is a very internal film the only mm-hmm. real um, uh, uh, dialogue is is the killer's thoughts uh, uh which are in a voice over and uh, he's talking to himself most of the time and it's it's not tough to kind of imagine fincher talking to himself after a bit in this and um, it's also a kind of uh, meditation on the idea of this sort of assassin figure in uh, in films and we've seen it so much and this is very different because he sort of seems to almost deconstruct it and then put the pieces back together but the pieces then you know he doesn't construct the elephant in the correct way so like things are sort of askew it's not like it could almost be john wick in the sense that like if you took a one liner it sounds like john wick you know this guy who's uh you know whose own life is threatened uh, and therefore then he digs up his weapons and he goes to kill everybody who uh, who could harm him I, yeah, but it's very much not john wick this guy is not cool the killer he is not uh, he dresses like a dork uh he wants to blend in uh, he eats mcdonalds uh, he listens to the smiths uh though we don't get to listen to the smiths which is something that i'm going to complain about in a moment a uh, very perverse thing that fincher does uh it's uh, it's it's very it's it's a strange kind of um, idea of an assassin this sort of figure that's normally very uh almost monk like ascetic and in a sense this guy is too but he doesn't have like the gravitas of these guys he's one would sense not like he's it like he doesn't say very interesting things in his voice over he just sort of repeats the same things over and over again a lot of it is just like motivational speak uh, that you might get like in a company retreat and um, after some time the film starts interrupting his own Yeah. uh you know uh, uh, instructions to himself which i thought was hilarious because yeah. it's like it, this is so now you've already heard it and you know it's stupid so we're just going to you know we're not even going to pretend like he's saying anything important yeah. and the yeah. film itself starts uh, uh interrupting that uh what what did you make of it did you were you sort of surprised as the film unfolded and like did it go into weird areas personally well, absolutely loved the film like eventually i i mean look like i know we said it sounds familiar and you you are very right about fact that uh, you know it, it feels like john wick as a one liner but it definitely certainly is not because it's about a it's about a assassin who isn't as sorted or cool as he thinks he is and uh, and i think um, i mean i really enjoyed it because uh you know because of the context because you figure out very early this is a david fincher film and it's more or less auto fiction because it feels like fincher is talking about himself at some level and his own career and how he's known to be clinical and how his films aren't yeah. really 
very sort of uh, you know show offy and emotional and and you know he doesn't make those kind of films and he's very sort of known as the craftsman and and these are the kind of mantras you can imagine him telling himself but uh, but eventually this relationship between the assassin and the film is what defines this is what defines the killer right because what you said about the film interrupting him is exactly something i i almost imagine this as a coming of age story for david fincher himself as well as the killer uh, mm. because it, it it felt like fincher was also himself admitting saying you know uh, i need to loosen up a bit and maybe you know uh, things just uh, maybe i'm not as clinical as i think i am because i think some of my films are fairly sentimental and even this goes in that direction you know the film is constantly battling with the michael fassbender character forcing him to do very conventional things like globe trotting and like even if fassbender wants to kill someone a certain way the film forces him to have like this brawl in miami with him in a house or something we'd see you know in a john wick film or in in mm-hmm. in a mission impossible film so i i really like that and i really like that this is the tilda swinton character who feels like she's already lived her own film and she's always already been in her own david fincher film and she's learned from it and she's come out of it unscathed only to run into another disillusioned protagonist who is changing without really wanting to who's becoming more conventional without really wanting to that also, that dinner table sequence was brilliant it is because she is the aesthetic killer she is the, yeah. the the figure that we know of assassins you know the the people with great taste and mm. you know they have like this they're perfectly spoken they have this philosophy you know and they're they're inch perfect like in in everything and then like you can't rattle them they're uh, you know they'll they'll sit and have their their rare whiskey even though they know that they're probably going to get uh, uh, you know uh, killed or uh, later but it's it's just that 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 perfection and and that sort of mystique she is the figure that i think uh, maybe people might expect fastbender's killer to be at the start of the film and he 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 turns out to be not like that at all uh the and just a little more on on the idea of fincher dialoguing with himself that you know when when the killer says that i've i've actually grown to enjoy proximity work anything with a little creativity it's it's very um, i mean i thought of both of mank and of mind hunter the the idea that you know i i that i i really don't know what fincher uh, feels about mind hunter now uh, but i think the the idea that like you know everyone was like do a third season do a fourth yeah. season and he's you know i mean i as as a filmmaker and and someone you know as one of the great filmmakers you don't want to be stuck doing a tv show for like four seasons that stuff is demanding you know and and uh, he said as much in interviews and uh, i think there's it's tough not to see a little bit of a comment out there on that and also you know the idea that he did try uh, proximity work as it were in mank which is a much more emotionally sort of open film and and like a more bruising film in a more in an emotional sense than maybe some of fincher's other work uh, though you know there is a lot of emotion if you kind of dig under the surface of his films but um 
that and that kind of had a slightly mixed reception. Uh, it probably didn't get the kind of acclaim that he, you know, people were expecting it to get. And, uh, you know, maybe that's also on his mind a little bit out there. Like, you know, I, I like the, the idea is that Fincher doesn't give a fuck as the, the yeah. you know, this, this thing that the killer keeps repeating in, in the film. And uh, I mean, that's probably not true. But he uh, actually but, does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, I think I love the way they worked up to that, right? Like that self-realization of sorts, because yeah. it wasn't really obvious, like till the end, when he finally leaves a character alive. Um, and I, this is after he meets with the Tilda Swinton character, who, as you said, very rightly represents the kind of spy we know, um, represents the kind of assassin we are familiar with. And he defeats that, but then he stops short of going all the way in the end, which is basically a very, it's actually a quite an optimistic film in a way, even though it may sound cynical. It's almost Fincher saying, yeah, you know, I do give a fuck and I do care. I'm human. Just like the assassin towards the end of the film, I'm one of the many, I'm not one of the few. Uh, so even, even if the whole world thinks I'm one of the few and I'm very clinical, I'm not. I have a heart. Uh, and I found that weirdly moving. There's almost a rocket sing like ending. <laughs> I found it very moving. That's a very good analogy, actually. Yeah, that's true. I uh, and just it's it's also I think um, Fincher playing with the audience. It it really is one of his more playful films, uh, mm-hmm. and you don't kind of realize that until some way in. And I started to obviously you know see that with the Smith songs. Because it's it's almost perverse what Fincher does, which is that have these, you know, classic songs by the Smiths and uh, and but you won't hear you won't even hear two lines in succession. Literally, you hear one line in the killer's headphones and then the next scene and then, you know, he'll cut to another shot and there'll be like diegetic sound or there'll be, you know, the voiceover or something. So you, you these songs that are so familiar he won't allow you to enjoy them. And after some time, it's just like you have to laugh because it's uh, it's such a perversion of this idea of using familiar tunes to sort of uh, uh, yeah. create this uh, emotional connect. And, and Fincher says, I just won't do it. I would pay probably like millions of dollars and then not use these at mm. all, like in, in any useful way. And uh, I also thought like another uh, fairly interesting thing that he does is that he won't give us the kind of, you know, like the the John Wick uh, uh, fights. Like he just gives us one big, very yeah. messy fight, which reminded me a bit of the, uh, I don't know if you've seen Soderbergh's Haywire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Gina Carano and uh, Fassbender have this real amazing sort of knockdown drag out fight in yeah. that. And it really reminded this really reminded me of that. But apart from that, there it's really not an action film per se. There's there's really nothing in terms of those you know intricate Fincher set pieces that he can certainly do. And out here, as you mentioned, he just he kind of ends it with a conversation and. A bit of personal evolution, which is just so surprising coming from him. Yeah, and you know, you you don't expect this sort of uh, you you expect more misanthropy at this point, but uh, but you know what what are only Fincher can sort of make an autobiography of himself starring as a killer, right? Like it's really 
it's really cool in that sense because he's very much marking his own sort of mentality as to where he is as an american filmmaker where he is uh, in terms of legacy and how he is thinking and how he wants to move forward and uh, you know for those who want to they will get the subtext when they watch the film for those who are looking because otherwise it can be a very dry experience you'd be like oh this is fincher he'll make a masterpiece oh wait why is he making another why is he making such a conventional assassin film they yeah. has to like uh, i have seen a lot of reactions like that that it's it's boring and it's conventional and it's just fincher losing interest but for those who want to look beyond that it is there and as you mentioned the smith's point very you know great point because that exactly more or less what it does the playfulness the interactiveness with the audience and their perception of spy films of assassin films uh, is very cool because uh, it's it, and it's not even a takedown of any genre you know it's it's really him in therapy with himself and it's it's sort of a nice thing to see because we know fincher has been making films for a long time and uh, i very much enjoyed sort of fassbender's performance also because of that because it's very easy to come across as robotic uh and mechanical yeah. under the pretext saying oh this guy believes he doesn't feel anything this guy believes in rules and he believes in these voiceovers annoying voiceovers where he keeps telling himself something but you know can't really uh, measure up to it but uh, i feel like fassbender gets this very very delicate balance between that mechanical sort of you know mindset he thinks he's in and that slight breaking of his image towards the end of the film and it's not an easy thing to do you know he's a, he's a he's more or less like an assassin who's watched too many assassin movies and he isn't being able to do uh, follow any of that by the end of it his his face in the restaurant scene oh yeah yeah that was is something. amazing because it's it's such a it's it's like it's he's he's obviously he's seeing like a more almost a more impressive version of himself across the table mm. and he is like he is obviously gone past not taking it personal by this time yeah. and and it's just it's uh, but at the same time you know he's you can sense that he's not like a very evolved thinker so there's not too many thoughts going through his head but just this much itself gives him like you know you can see the confusion uh, in his head at that time uh even though he knows what he uh, what he has to do uh, it's it's a very interesting performance and he's been gone for a while i i i didn't uh, i didn't realize that his his uh, fastbender's last film was uh, i think it was like 4 years back or something it's been a while i think he was doing some racing or something in between mm. yeah i don't know maybe but but you know he's had, he's going to have two films in two weeks because this is the killer and this week is next goal wins the taika waititi film uh, right. where he's playing the dutch football coach and the documentary is one of the best documentaries i've ever seen and i'm very 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 about what the film what the fictional version might be but uh, yeah it's good to smooth, see smooth plug for our sports film podcast okay. yeah i know we i mentioned that there so for those of you who are looking for sports films do hear that podcast we are of course going to discuss this film separately but uh, yeah but the i mean the bottom line is it's good to have fastbender back because there were times in this performance i thought very much in the zone of shame uh you know going through the city sort of just a lot of idle time in this film at least till he wants to have it until he's sucked into a very conventional spy uh, assassin film 
uh and I, yeah i he very much comes across like the character very much comes across, across like a sort of a keypad philosopher who suddenly being forced to act deeper than he is he's not as deep as he thinks he is and as you said you know i don't think he has very sophisticated thoughts in general i think these are very derivative thoughts and his voiceover is supposed to be derivative it's not exactly i think i think that again is something that is kind of uh, throwing off people who are watching this i see a lot of complaints that you know it's not a yeah why is the voiceover not smarter why is it not more memorable but after a while i think you kind of realize that it's not supposed to be it's it's bad pulp fiction almost yeah, yeah. writing yeah that's true i mean you know hats off that you can actually pull off a film that forces the audience to like detect these things and also like sort of renew their entire relationship with the genre because it's not easy to make a method film in a way right like it's 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 just not easy to say that oh i'm going to tell you what i'm thinking or how bad a particular genre how good it is by making a film that falls prey to exactly those problems but has a character who thinks he's better than those problems so difficult thing to do and there's a lot of trust between fincher and the audience which which i'm glad he gives the audience that much respect and not a lot of directors do that um and and it's just good to see him back not i wouldn't say back to form i think he's been making good films for a long time but uh, yeah. just good to see him back because it's it it would be a very dry landscape without him uh, yeah. and i'm glad it is widely accessible also i know we can creep about how it looks on netflix compared to a big screen but i also feel like this is net, the netflix audience the netflix viewers the ott viewers are the kind of audience this film needs Yeah, you saw it though on the big screen, right? They had a screening. Yeah, I did. Uh, as soon as I heard that, you know, there's ah, a watching yeah. picture on the big screen. Net Netflix yeah. themselves had it, so I I trekked all the way to sort of very far away to watch it. It was worth it because I I don't think I'm going to have that experience again. And it's it's just it's just that kind of film. I'm glad to have watched like in any capacity, and it it helped me also understand the film better. I don't think I might have. gotten all the nuances of it if i just watched it with pauses in between too so and then you know again the 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 score as well like trent and atticus are back after uh, you know after a while and it's just it's really good to see how uh, fincher manages his craft and uh, organizes sort of the score and the way we look at certain scenes the way he shoots certain scenes in terms of how we might perceive them to be and uh, it's it's just very enriching like on an intellectual level to watch a film like this yeah i'm um i i i would just um request netflix who of course listen to our podcast to uh <laughs> just take a leaf out of apple's book which is put a 4 hour scorsese film a really difficult uh, film in some respects to uh, in theaters and it's in its third week right now in india if they can do that and if it can run for a while would it kill you to just put a fincher film in theaters for a few weeks before you know i mean just like i mean no one's asking you to put extraction in theaters just you know put, put a fincher put a sorrentino you know with the with the good guys just you know couple of weeks i mean that's a very impassioned plea i must say because i have a feeling netflix does it according to awards buzz obviously 
I think they're doing it because it's Scorsese or like Scorsese can do it, but I don't think after the reviews that came out of Venice for the Killer, I don't think they are placing this on top of the awards pile in terms of prioritizing. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not surprised to see that it dropped straight away on Netflix because if it did uh, get the sort of reviews reviews it should have there, I think they might have maybe thought twice about, you know, like the way they are marketing it. But uh, but yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Um, yeah, so any final thoughts on that or anything else you watched? Yeah, but no, that's about it. I think uh, I'm I just want I was just dying to discuss Killer, of course, because it's it's been it's been almost a week, and uh, I'm glad we got to talk about Tiger Three as well. And uh, there is another film on Apple called Fingernails, uh, which I watched last week. It's very interesting. It's a sci-fi film. It's like a sci-fi romance, and it it, it uh, basically it, it's it's one of those films that went under the radar for some reason. And it has a very interesting sort of, um, and I've ended up writing about it, is it has a very interesting cast also, because it has Jesse Buckley, it has Riz Ahmed, and it has um, um, Jeremy Allen White, who you would better know as fair. So that cast, you know, as you can imagine, can't go wrong. It has its issues and all, but I would also recommend... Uh, for people to watch that film because I've been trying to discuss that film with people but not a lot have seen it. I can't blame anyone because I, I don't think Apple have really marketed it very well. But uh, but yeah, if, if you guys are looking for something to watch, that would be worth uh, watching. It's not going to be an award season or anything, but it's a very interesting idea. It's more on the lines of um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So it's just, it's interesting. So yeah, that's about it. Uh, as far as me, Uday, do you have anything? Mm, we saw Pippa, but I don't think either no. of us wants to talk about that and just a you know forgettable war film and uh, yeah, uh, but I guess that's still uh, that's no no that's not in uh, that's not in theaters. That's playing in uh, playing on Amazon, I think. So yeah. I mean, anyone who's interested in that can go see it. But uh, you know, very uh, yeah, difficult. Difficult to find anything to talk about that, so we just avoid mm. it altogether. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, that's it. that's about it for our podcast today. Thank you for listening, and we will again be back soon. Obviously, we have a couple of releases over the next few weeks, and November, December going to be very interesting for big releases for Hindi cinema as well. And there's the end of the year stuff also. So, thanks for listening, and. Uh, do tune in next time. Um, write into us if you have any suggestions. Find us on Twitter. Read our stuff because uh, we do uh, talk a lot about, uh, I mean, a lot of our stuff uh, that we talk about on the podcast is also stuff we write about in our reviews. So it's very not unsubtle plug most of the time. Uh, so, so yeah, see you next time.